Hello and welcome to The Pathway. My name is Tim Deeks and in this podcast, we dive deep into the lives of interesting characters from a wide range of backgrounds. No matter if the guest is a leader in business, sport, media or politics, everyone has a pathway through life. And it is my ambition that through each guest's unique story, you'll be able to take something away to put into action on your own path. So let's start walking. My guest today is Danny Green. Danny grew up in Perth and he'd go on to become a world champion boxer, holding the WBA light heavyweight title, the IBO cruiserweight title and the WBC interim super middleweight title. Don't be fooled. If he's a strong fighter in the ring, he is one of the best guys out of it, starting important initiatives such as the Coward's Punch campaign and even rescuing a guy from drowning stuck in the surf. To talk about his amazing pathway, I'm joined by Danny Green. Welcome, Danny. <laughs> I'm super excited to get into to your boxing career, but I want to start at the very beginning. What was your first ever job? My first ever job? Like all of it, most kids are working fast food. So when I was um, younger, I worked at, when I was doing 16, I worked at KFC. And then, but before that, the first time I got paid to do something, I was starting to and Pop's lawn, Nan and Pop's lawn um, on a weekend. Uh, I was at the Royal Show. So I'm not sure what your Royal Show in Melbourne's called, but in Perth it's called the Royal Show. And then in Sydney it's called the Easter Show. But ours is the Royal Show on the third holidays of the year, in the September school holidays. And, um, you know, it's where they have all the show rides, the show bags, the, the animals, all the cars, and all that kind of stuff. The, the, the side shows and all the games and fun. And I was there employed selling potato peelers. And I had a headset on brooking potato peelers. And I had a crowd of people around me and I was, Peeling and chopping and dicing and slicing uh, pumpkins, carrots, potatoes, sweet potatoes, pumpkins, celery, you name it. I was spruiking it. How did you go as a salesman? <laughs> Turned out not bad. I got a job there the next year, so I went okay. Obviously, you must have, you must have rated me, but I was never shy on you know running my gob. So uh, you know it was probably it probably suited me well. What kind of student were you? Very ordinary. Yeah, at best, I was ordinary. Um, I just didn't, I never ever got the concept of math or science. I just couldn't get my head around it. I couldn't understand algebra, trigonometry, all those kind of, you know, chemistry, physics. I just couldn't get it. But I was always quick with math, like my basic multiples, time, uh, times tables, um, addition, subtraction, division, multiplication, multiplication um, et cetera. Um, I was always really quick with that. And I've always just worked up a formula. Um, you know, in my head, I've always worked off 10%. If I want to do math or anything, I always work off 10%. And it doesn't really make sense to everyone else, but to me, it always made sense. Um, but yeah, I, was, I wasn't I was a good um, listener. I got tired and bored and I was a space cadet. And um, I enjoyed going to school because I had my mates, you know, there and we had a bit of fun, but I just didn't like doing the work. And so was boxing a real salvation for you? I didn't start fighting till I was 18, when I say fighting like in the ring. Um, but I started karate from a young age, from 13, and then kickboxing when I was 15, 16, and had a couple of kickboxing fights when I first turned 18, and then had my first boxing fight when I was just about turned 19. So it's pretty late in the sport. Yeah. But without doubt, if I hadn't found, if, if I hadn't taken up the sport of boxing and really realised that I loved it and had a, had had you know a, a, a knack for it, had the ability for it, and had the instinct for fighting, if I hadn't found that, then um, my life would have been drastically different and not in a great way. 
How did boxing enter your life? I used to go watch the World Title Fights with my dad in my pajamas down the pub. He used to take me and put me at the, 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 the pub when he watched the fights. Because my old man enjoyed boxing. I was in a fight. He loved watching the fights. Great um, Mal. And then, yeah, the great Mal. Um, yeah, the late great Mal. And um, he got me in a boxing, mate. And he loved it. And so I, was just, I, read, I gravitated towards it. But my dad, a close mate of my old man, my, my, my father worked with at a fast food um, outlet. Um, him and my father became really close mates. And, and you know, that close to, to, to the point where he was, you know, 50 years later, he was, um, you know, 45 years later, he was holding my dad's hand when he took his last breath in his room when we were all with him. So they were very close. And I'm still close with him, Pat Devalier, is my, my very first boxing amateur trainer. But I met Pat through my father and his sons. I used to go watch his sons fight. They, were, uh, they immigrated from Burma um, back in about 1971. And I used to watch his sons um, fight when they were young, um, amateur fights over in WA. And I just fell in love with it and had my first, I had a couple of kickboxing fights and got my black belt in karate when I was 17. And I just loved the combat sport side of things. I loved the, the challenge and I loved the, the, um, the adrenaline. And I really want to test myself. And I just found test myself one-on-one with a bloke, especially when I was sparring and fighting against, when I was a young kid against men. I used to like beating the men. I used to like getting it over them. That was a, a real challenge for me. And then to come out victorious, you know, I was like, wow, this is such a rush. And I just, I never looked back. When did you realize that, hey, this might actually be my future, my career? I don't know, really. It's a hard one, Deeky. I guess I made the Australian team in, in 1997. And then I won, my first, I won a, my first Australian title in 1997. And then represent Australia um, before that you know, in, in, in Papua New Guinea in the after in the Oceania Games then I, I represent Australia at the Commonwealth Games then I represent, represent Australia at the 2000 Olympic Games I think I was hooked or when I thought I could make a career for myself I didn't really realise my motivation to turn pro so I moved everything from Perth moved, I put my old Magna on a train and put microwave and TV and you know, some other stuff in there and put that on a train and sent across the city and went across there and Found a place, a one-bedroom unit to live on the on the railway in Ashfield, and didn't know really what was going on, but I had the offer to turn pro. And um, and then after my first fight, I was like, wow, you know. And then second fight, third fight, I was bowling them over. Like, wow, but my, I could probably do something with this. But my first initial motivation to turn pro was to try and. We all had the dream of being a world champion. We all yeah. had the dream of trying to you know win a fight and and, and and become a world champion and make a living from it and own your own house because of fighting. That's a pipe dream. But it didn't seem like a reality for me. My initial motivation was to try and earn 40000 bucks to try and put a deposit together to then go home and, and, and work my trade. I was a carpenter by trade. I left school early and did my trade as a carpenter and did my apprenticeship. And then it was like, I'll earn forty k and then go home and, and, um, and, and buy a house and, and, and pay it off with my trade. That was my initial motivation. It wasn't, obviously I had a dream of winning a world title, but I didn't think I'd, I'd, I'd be where I am today after after you know a long career. I've been lucky to attend some of your fights, and I'm I'm always sitting there. My, my my palms are sweaty when you're facing off. The first round bell goes. It's just two guys standing there. Describe you know most people will never have that experience. Describe what that moment is like. Uh, it's a beautiful feeling, DT. It really is, mate. You really never feel more alive when the bell's gonna go and you've just. You just touch gloves, the referee's giving instructions, you go back to your corner, he goes back to his corner, you know there's less seconds to go. Crowd's pumping, he's looking over at you and he's, his intent is to, is to, he wants to knock you out. And my job is to do the same to him 
I don't want to hurt him. I just want to beat him. It's man on man. It's 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 combat. It's like radio. There's nowhere else. To, everything's done. All the stuff, the press conference, the weigh-in, all the Hollywood stuff, all the hype, all the crap that goes with it. That's all done. Now it's just me and you, mate. Let's see who wants this the most. And so it's such an adrenaline rush. And I can only describe it as I've never, ever felt more alive is in those seconds just before the bell goes. It's like, whoa. There's, it's like the MCG lights have been plugged in your into your, into your soles, your feet, and someone turns the on button. It's like, whoa. It's electric, mate. Yeah, it must be. Do, 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 you, do you ever get – I know this sounds really silly. Do you ever get scared? Yeah. Get nervous. Get nervous about losing. I don't care about – I used to go, wow, well, what happens if I get knocked out? Mm. How's that going to feel? I've been, it's happened. I've broken so many bones in my face and my body and my ribs and my hands and whatever that the injury side of things um, and, the, and, the, and the damage physically never, never really was a, a contributing factor to my nerves. The nerves were really – there because I didn't want to lose. I'm competitive and I don't want to lose against you. And I'm in front of my family and friends and mates and everyone at home on TV watching around the country, etc. They're all going for me or lots are going for me. I don't want to let them down. That was the nerves come. I don't want to let people down. I don't want to lose this fight because I'm competitive and I don't want to lose that bloke. I want to beat that guy. I don't want to hurt him. I just want to beat him. And that's where the fear comes from, not performing and not being the best, not fighting to the best of your ability, that's where I got the nerves from. I go, oh, what if I don't fight to, the, to my best? Because if I gave all I had and I fought the best fight I've ever had and it wasn't good enough, I'm cool. But if I don't perform because of you know, various reasons, um, then that's what makes me nervous. Three fire, two lefts and a right there. Scoring shots, not power shots for Danny Green, but that'll do at this stage. Just a minute into potentially what is a 36-minute night, 12 three-minute rounds. Nobody likes to lose, but it's obviously inevitable. What did what strategies did you use when you did lose and you had to come back from it? Oh, uh, it just I don't I don't think I really used strategies, Dixie. I just it's just who I was. It's more who you are. And and, and I can talk about things and go, Oh, you know, I did this, this and this, which I did. But mm. I don't boy with it. It just comes down to how much you want it. If you really want it, if your desire is strong enough, then you'll get back up and you'll be victorious once again. And my desire was very strong. Therefore, I, I sacrificed and went without and did what I needed to do, ticked all the boxes in order to be victorious. But in my sport, not necessarily always the best fighter wins of the night. Um, you know, it comes down to, you know, it could be who, who lands the better shot at the right time. It just, it really comes down to preparation and, and then on the night, everything going your way. Um, but the undeniable 
um, denominating factor in it is desire. Do you still watch it? Yeah, mate, I do. I watch it on the weekend. I watched Charlo versus Castagno. I thought Castagno won the fight. So it was, a, it was an unfortunate decision. It became a draw. I thought it was a rotten decision. Castagno well and truly did enough to win. Um, yeah, I keep a, I keep a breath with John, mate, because it's, it's in my blood. I love it. I, I spar. My son, Archie, we, we spar last night. We train all the time. It, 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 Boxing is a sport that really gets in your blood, Dixie, and it's very, mm. very difficult to let go. Yeah, and no, I can hear, I can still hear the passion in your voice. Yeah, yeah mate, it's not going to go anywhere fast, and it's, it's been my life, and it's, you know, I was blessed to be able to identify that I had an ability and I had a talent, and it's something that I love doing, so I was able to pursue that. Whereas, you know, a lot of young crew out there don't realise, so I, I kind of recommend and urge young people, if there's something you like and there's something you want to do and you think you're good at, just don't let anyone, don't let anyone block you, or don't get, don't let anyone get in your way. The only person that can stop you is you. If you really want to be successful, you will. I was told when I was younger, oh, he won't make it. He's this, he's that, he's no good, he's too slow, he's this, whatever it may be. But I was like, nah, man, I'm going to make this. This is what I want to do. I didn't really think in my head, hey, I want to do this. I obviously just did because I was so determined and so so dedicated to what I was doing. I sacrificed so much and you know, put up with so many career-ending injuries that would have stopped a lot of fighters you know, time and time again. But I just persevered and kept going and put up with the pain because it's what I want to do. Yeah, you talk about the the injuries and and especially I you know talking to other fighters they they talk about that the the trauma of like the weight cut when you're trying to get down on weight. You know, what was your motivation during training camp just to you know, make it through? Victory. That was it, man. I, I wanted to have my hand raised uh, after the fight, and I wanted to. I didn't want to let people down. That was probably the main thing. Dex is I, I I had so much support. I was so blessed to have so much support around the nation, and so. Knowing that I had so much support, um, you know, I always prepared 100% as a professional athlete every single fight. You know, there weren't many people out there who trained harder than me um, and, and tried harder than me. So I was very conscious of the support that I had and it meant a lot to me. So therefore, I didn't want to let anyone down. And therefore, that was easy to stay motivated and, and the desire was strong always because I knew there were so many people out there kind of really cheering me on and banking on me to be to be victorious and I was really really conscious of that support and I appreciate it so therefore it really weighed in, weighed on me to, to ensure that I did everything I could in preparation to not let them down. Totally off the topic of boxing but I only discovered this when I was doing some research on, on you. In 2006 you received a bravery award for rescuing a guy from drowning. How did that happen? <laughs> I was at Yelling Up which is about 30 k's north of Margaret River so it's, it's, a, it's a really popular spot for surfing and it's a the spot this day was quite a heavy ocean. It was really, really large. Surf was pumping. I've surfed my whole life. So the surf was pumping, and there was a guy in trouble. And I was in the caravan park visiting a mate. <clears throat> had this guy, yeah, you know, hey, there's someone in trouble with someone drowning. Someone sucked out to sea. So I went and ran down. I had to run about 250 metres to, to, to the lookout and went, wow, that guy sucked out to sea. He's in trouble. So I quickly ran back to my car- to the caravan where my mate was staying. I said, Johnsy, there's a guy stuck. I've got to get your board. Let's go. I'm going. I'm going to go paddle and grab the bike. And um, by the time I got down the beach to where I had to jump in the water to get to him, it would have been about oh, three or four minutes at least because it's a long run. It's, in, it's down, you know, three hours south of Perth. So it's quite a way to get there. By the time I got to there, he'd been sucked back in and was in the surf and it was quite large. And this guy wasn't experienced and he was in a cycle just getting dumped and then sucked back out. Dumped and sucked. So the waves weren't pushing him in. They were smashing him underwater. He'd get up and they'd suck him back into the zone into the impact zone where he's getting hit again. He couldn't get out of that cycle. 
like a washing machine. So I paddled out there and then just, just grabbed him and literally grabbed him by the hair because he was going under and threw him on the board. Luckily, there was a break in the waves, threw him on the board. And I said, mate, hang on to this. I'm going to push you in because he was stuffed and he was on his last legs and he was grabbing me. And I said, hang on to the board, get in the board and put him on the surfboard. And as of, as a wave come up, I'm going to push him on the whitewash, just push him forward so he had some momentum so he wouldn't get smashed again. He had no clothes on because his clothes got ripped off and they're boom, on his ass and whoop, away he goes. That's and then I got amazing. smashed by a wave and he, he luckily he hung on and it smashed him forward a bit. It was enough to get him from going forward. And then I swam forward and grabbed him, put him on the board again and just got him to shore. And um, he was okay. He lived to fight another day. But it was just, just by chance I was there, mate. So it was, it was, he was lucky that someone was there that um, grabbed the board and, and, and fucked him out. What a story. Yeah, man, he, he was pretty lucky that someone was there. Otherwise, he was probably brown bread. Hey, it's Tim. Thank you for making it this far into the podcast. While you're listening, would you mind giving us a rating and hit subscribe so you never miss an episode? Your rating will enable others to find us and discover their own pathway. Now back to the podcast. Mate, one of, one of the first things that I recognized you was through coward's punch you know for for anyone that might not know what is it explain what it is and and why it's so important well i started it the coward punch campaign and i just wanted to try and make a difference to reach out to young blokes in particular out there that think it's tough going out there and picking fights and punching on and smacking people for no reason in particular young blokes people are always going to have conflict there's going to be fights i'm not so fussed about that i'm more concerned about people hitting people for no reason when they don't even know it's coming. Just complete cowards, just scumbags who think they're tough, who think they're brave, who watch TV, who watch fights and TV. Oh, that's how it goes. That's what I'll do. But in reality, they're terrified. They're, they're, they're gutless and they're cowards. So I wanted, I wanted to just try and do something that's very impacting yet basic and simple by highlighting the term. It's not a king hit. There's nothing. King hit glorifies it. Even one punch glorifies it. You know, coward punch, that doesn't grow up on any other. That signifies exactly what you are. So the last eight or nine years I've been campaigning, um, you know, for the coward punch campaign, which I founded in 2012, to try and stamp out this, this disgraceful behaviour and hopefully attach a stigma to it. That means if you commit one of these hideous acts where you hit someone for no reason, they don't even see it coming, um, or even if they see it coming, there's no reason for it, you whack someone. If you do that, then you're going to be branded a coward for the rest of your life. And it's never going to go away totally, but the campaign's had immense effect on the community and to the point where now so many organisations on TV, whether it's the major networks, whether it's the syndications publicising, uh, publicating, uh, the publishing the, the newspapers, whether it's the radio, etc., social media, the term coward punch is a very common term now. So the, 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 the fact that I've been able to, and the people that have been on the campaign, on the board of the campaign, um, you know, have uh, been amazing in assisting the campaign um, and supporting it and turning around the stigma associated with King Hits and One Punch is to turning into the word Coward Punch. Yeah, it's such an important campaign and it's an amazing thing you're doing. I just want to finish up on some rapid-fire questions. Go. The first thing I do when I get up in the morning is? Stretch. The last time you cried was? Uh, last week. Talking to my son about something. Beautiful. The person I would most like to have dinner with is? My late father. Yeah, Mal. Legend. If if I never entered the world of boxing, the other occupation I would like to attempt is? 
probably Circus Clown, mate, would be the one I would have chosen and probably done well at. <laughs> I reckon definitely. Uh, if you had a billboard, if you get a words out to millions of people, what would you like to have written on it? Treat people how you want to be treated yourself. Mate, that is a beautiful way to end it. And you treat people with so much respect and that's why you're so heavily respected. Thank you so much for talking to me on The Pathway. Anytime, Deeksy. Keep up the great work, champion. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe, tell your friends and join me next time on The Pathway.